Hey fiends, I'm Isabel. And I'm Andrew. And this is Paraffine. And I almost ruined that by sneezing right as the song ended. That's okay. You didn't. I didn't. I mean, but even if you did, we would have just went back and did it again, and it's fine. True. That's what we had to do last episode. Because who are you? I'm Andrew. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I might as well be. Why, why, why the fuck not? Why not? Yeah. You know? So anyways, thanks for joining us, all you lovely fiends out there. We have come to the end of this very crazy three-part episode about Alfred Lobenstein. Three-partier. Yeah. Um, it's a very interesting story. It's crazy how this motherfucker just up and vanished, and then we found out he was dead, and uh, nobody really cares. Yeah, he just kind of vamoosed. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get like started into this last part of this three-parter, I just wanted to say hello to all of our new fiends, and hello to all of our longtime listeners, and we love you all. I know I said it before, and somebody was like, oh man, that's actually awkward, because this is my first episode that I'm listening to, but if this is the first episode you're listening to... <laughs> That is super weird. You should probably not start on a three-parter. Yeah, well, I mean, start at part one. Part one of a part three. And and work your way up to this one. You're definitely going to want to listen to the other two before you get into this one, because we're talking all about suspects in this one. Yeah, and it's kind of your fault, because it says part three in the title. Uh, Yeah, well, maybe people can't read, Andrew. Well, I mean... Apparently, this dude didn't read. Okay, whatever. Anyways. No, this, I'm saying Lowenstein (laughs) refused to read. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Which is weird. It it definitely is. So anyways, anyways, if y'all want, I said anyways twice. What the fuck is wrong? You're like throwing me off my game. Any, anyway, ways. (sighs) Okay, so if y'all want to come and jump over and join us on Patreon, please do that at patreon.com slash paraffine podcast. We're going to be... Putting out a new episode there very soon. Super so soon. you should definitely go check that out and join us over there. Become a super fiend or an ultimate fiend, whatever, you know, suits your fancy. Floats your boat. Floats your boat, that one. Um, and if you have any listener stories you'd like to throw our way for us to read on our listener stories segment, send those in to spiritboard at paraffinepodcast.com. We'll take them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you ready to jump into the last part? Yes. Okay. Come closer, fiendish friends, and let us tell you a tale. I am so ready for this episode. Are you? Yeah, because we are getting into, I think, one of like the juiciest parts. And Ooh. this is like, who done it? You know what I mean? The juicy. Um, I don't know if we're going to solve it because, you know... Maybe we're like the greatest investigators in the world, and we just don't know it. We could be. We could be, and we might solve this this shit. Well, let's find out right now. This one hundred year old case. Let's let's solve it. Let's get into it. Yeah. Let's get some answers going. All right. So we left you the last few episodes with a crazy disappearance, and then you know, uh, reappearance of Alfred Lovenstein and the strange reappearance of his body and all that stuff. Mm. Everyone is being shady. No one is really talking. And with that, we're going to finally get into the theories and suspects and what in the hell might have actually happened to Alfred. So our first theory uh, is the official reported cause that while he was trying to go to the bathroom, Albert uh, Lovenstein might have accidentally opened the wrong door and just like fell out of the plane. The New York Times reported that in the weeks leading up to this flight, Lovenstein was actually kind of getting absent-minded so to speak Mm. um there was people that were actually stating that they had noticed him 
that he would kind of like blunder through wrong doors in his homes or offices while his mind was occupied with grandiose schemes of speculation. Like Mm. that's how they put it. So he was sitting there like running through game plans in his head, plotting stuff. And he would just like burst in the wrong door and be like, oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I think what it kind of comes comes down to is I don't think it was like a dementia kind of incident or like he was like losing his mind. I think he was just so caught up in his thinkings that he just wasn't paying attention to. He was on autopilot. Yeah, he wasn't really paying attention to like everything that he was doing in reality. Yeah. And so like he's thinking, oh, business, business, business. And like you said, he just opened the door into the bathroom rather than like. I don't know, a bedroom or something. Right. So, I mean, a lot of people kind of held on to this, and this became one of the most popular theories because, well, first of all, that's kind of like the story that everyone, especially the crew members on board, stuck to. Yeah. They were all like, this dude just kind of like either got sick and fell out of the plane or he just walked through the wrong door. Like, he was so caught up in like what he was thinking about that instead of going to the left and going to the bathroom, he just went to the right, opened that door, and just walked right the fuck off the plane. Wild. Yeah. So, in one aspect, like, I can understand why people would hold on to that theory because one, one, like, when you can't figure out anything else, you're going to try to like just hold on to something like some, like any kind of explanation that you can. But if there are people that are like literally saying this dude was walking around the house, opening random doors, like on accident, like, you know what I mean? I could see why they'd be like, why couldn't he have done it on the plane too? Right. And I mean, if you're going to go with Occam's razor where, you know, the supposition with the least amount of assumptions is most likely the con- like the right scenario. Yeah, for sure. That one has the least amount of like assumptions. Yeah. Now, as we talked about in part two, there was an inquest that was conducted in Brussels before Alfred's body was found and Drew and Little had showed up, you know what I mean? And yeah. they told the judge that as they flew the plane back to England, both men kind of like went to the back and they did their little experiments and were able to easily open the plane's exit and entrance door. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Uh, well, I mean, and as we talked about before, nobody was under oath at that time. And no, like, you know, record was kept. And there was also no other qualified witnesses to speak on the matter. And like we talked about in part two, the judge had to take them at their word. Now, outside of Drew and Little... Most of the aviation world considered this explanation fucking ridiculous. Really? No one had ever, and I mean ever, been known to fall out of such a door. Mm-hmm. And we kind of made note of that in, I think, the first part where it was like, we talked about how the av- aviation world got wind of this, and they were like, dude, no fucking way. And then I was just like, you know, nobody's ever fallen out that door. And then I was like, well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. And it's because the aviation world was like, nobody's done that. In the history of ever. I think what was interesting is that we were talking about like how it was made and you made it sound like it was pretty flimsily made. It did. And that's what we were talking about is like in the explanation of this door, it sounded shoddy. Mm -hmm. But then whenever you talk to the aviation world, they they are like, "It, it may sound that way, but it's really not. And I mean, I don't know, you know the aviation regulations with, you know, airplanes and like what's considered flyable and what's not. But this, this plane, including that door 
met every safety and everything else, you know, regulation that went along with the aviation people or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as far as anyone's concerned, if you talk to people that were in the field of aviation, they did not believe that this was possible. No, or even likely. Yeah, exactly. Now, the, the we also have to look at the fact that when I talked about in part one, the explanation of the doors to the left was the bathroom, right? And yep. it was a door. It didn't have a window in it, obviously, because it was a fucking bathroom. And then to the right was the entrance and exit door. And it had a little window in a it. Porthole. Yeah, something like that. I don't really know. So they say and i have there's i don't think there's any actual pictures of the inside of this plane there's like a drawings and stuff and like mm-hmm. diagrams but from what everybody has said is these two doors didn't look anything alike mm-hmm. like they did not look alike and a lot of people can't they cannot believe that he would get them mixed up right that he would just fumble his way through the wrong one Right. Like I got to go to the bathroom and then go completely to the opposite direction to a door that doesn't even look like the bathroom and just walk out of it. And this is his plane. This is his plane. So like he knows his plane. And it's not just his plane, but he had this plane built to his, his, his specs. Yeah. He knew this plane for all intents and purposes to the details, like down to the details. He should have known everything about this plane because i'm thinking about when i've been on a plane and you go back towards like the lavatory yeah and you're like if you go left then you could hit the you know lavatory if you go right then you're opening like the pantry to the uh, you know stewardess like storage area yeah Mm -hmm. and it's like those are very different doors oh absolutely i mean i know it's like you know 2022 right now but still you get my point yeah, for sure. Now, as we kind of talked about, uh, you know, this the news of this swirled through the aviation crowds, and several of them were very familiar with this make and model of airplane, and they were they were really fucking like weirded out by Drew and Little, like okay. you know, in their explanation of how things happen. Now, there's a weekly magazine that was called Airplane, and it was published. It published the popular opinion that quote everyone who knew the machine agreed that the door never opened by accident. That was so, that was published in that. This magazine, uh, what's it called? Aeroplane. And what do they cover? Uh, airplanes. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so the UK Air Ministry Chief Inspector Major J. P. C. Cooper actually examined the door of the plane and found it to be in perfect working order, making an accidental open even less probable. Yeah. So you had like the literal chief inspector of the air ministry go in and inspect this door like not like another Fokker airplane no like this Alfred's fucking Fokker he went in there and looked at the door and was like no old big dog himself yeah he was like he was like no fucking way and he was like this is the this is the real deal exactly closable if yeah yeah he was like there's no fucking way like this happened the way they said it did yeah you don't just trip you know because of some turbulence lean against the door and then tumble out of an aircraft correct Now, there was a Royal Air Force pilot named Officer George Terrell, and he talked to the Toronto Daily Mail and Empire, and he pretty much gave an explanation why this would be absurd. Mm -hmm. He said, quote, even if a man could get the door open, a super strong man, as soon as the pressure was released, the door was slammed shut. Furthermore, as soon as the outside door was open, the slightest bit, everyone inside would be aware of it. A blast of wind would blow through the cabin. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, and you know, because it's, uh, you know, the twenties, so you don't really have pressurized aircraft. Yeah. So as soon as you open that door, it's going to be like, you know? Yeah. Well, he said, first of all, like if you could open that door in flight, it would slam back on you because you're traveling at 110 knots in the air you're going to open it and it's going to be like, nah, bro. And it's going to fucking shut again. Which on I think you. is what they were saying about the fuselage being slightly tapered down at the back. And uh, the yeah, door, maybe. Blah, I, blah, blah, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But I do know that if you open a door, like even a car door, mm-hmm. you're going to have resistance. And now you're talking about an airplane that's traveling way faster up in the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's going to slam back shut on you. And even if it, the minute you open that door, everybody's going to know it. They're going to hear it. That's what I was saying last episode. It's like, how is this dude opening a door? And no one's like, is that a door opening? I, I, that's kind of one of the things that I always thought whenever I was first reading about the story and the, before I kind of got into like the nitty gritty of the details, mm. just the story of what drew and little where they were like, this dude just got up and we never saw him again. Yeah. Like you didn't hear that. You didn't hear that door open. Yeah. He just teleported off the plane. That that was like one of the first things that I thought of is like, how in the actual fuck did you not hear anything of this dude opening the door of an airplane and jumping the fuck out? Or tumbling. Or tumbling out, whatever. Mm-hmm. It made absolute no sense to me. And, and believe me, I'm sure most, if not all of y'all, the fiends, probably feel the same way. And the rest of the world pretty much does as well. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe to say it nicely. Yeah. And so, as you can imagine, none of the other passengers reported noticing any wind or noise. Like, go fucking figure, right? Mm-hmm, they were mm-hmm. like, we didn't hear shit. Right. That's pretty much what they said. Now, Lovenstein was generally considered to be physically strong. Okay. Like, he was, that was his kind of thing. That's why he didn't smoke. That's why he didn't drink, because, like, he was really into physical fitness okay. and he thought that smoking and drinking hindered that which it, yeah it does. it does so he was considered physically strong but even with that he had been sick with rheumatism in the days leading up to the flight which would make him weak mm-hmm. it would weaken him so like survey says he's not opening that fucking door yeah he's he's probably not you know Walking back all jovial and being like, you know, his tip top self. Yeah. Even if he had been in like regular shape, like he was without that rheumatism, like he was, you know, fine. Mm -hmm. It's, it's still hard to imagine that he would accidentally be able to open that door. Yeah. That would be really difficult. I think. Yeah, for sure. Now there's a reporter from the evening standard named Norman W. Ray And he actually conducted a few experiments on a similar aircraft. So he didn't get to do it on this particular Fokker, but he did it on at least similar ones. I don't know if it was like other Fokker or just like some that were like it. So he's not doing the Drew test where he's, you know, trying to open the door mid-flight? Well, okay, so get this. Remember how like in in the second part I said that uh, Little and Drew were kind of ballsy for like doing that experiment and you thought it was because I said... They, I thought that they were doing it mid-flight. Right. Okay. This dude actually did that. Uh, while in flight, he actually was trying to throw himself against the door to get it to open. Ooh. Yeah. So this dude was actually ballsy, like for reals. Um, while in flight, he could not get the door to budge while he, quote, lurched heavily against it. 
Um, so he was like use he was like using a brace to thrust against the door with all of his weight. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, he only managed to open the door like about three inches. Wow. Yeah. So okay. I, dude, I don't know if this dude had like a parachute on or like they had him tethered or, tethered or yeah. something, but like, wow. Right. I, there's, there's no amount of money that somebody could pay me to be like, throw yourself against that door in mid flight. No fucking way. Right. But this dude did it. He was about it, I guess. I guess, like, I guess he was just like all about figuring it out. I don't, I don't know, but you know, with this theory, this one about that he just walked out the wrong door. You right. know what I mean? That's out the window. Yeah this this is the first theory. I, I I held no. There's no there's no part of me that believes this. Well, after that test, him doing that in mid air, like mid flight. And being able to get like three inches and like really trying, really trying to get that door open. You're not going to accidentally just like, like it's a door out into the backyard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's theory one. Like I said, I I don't hold any kind of, there's, there's nothing to this that I say yes. Right. It, It doesn't, it's not plausible to me. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just not likely. Yeah. So. We're going to get into the second theory now, and that's that Alfred Lovenstein might have accidentally not. Well, I, I don't even know why I said accidentally. I think it's because I don't want to say it, but they think that he might have killed himself by leaping from the plane. Okay. Um, now, obviously, if you're suicidal, like nobody ever like always shows outward signs of that. And you know that they're that they are in that mindset. And I okay, say that sure. because Lovenstein, like Alfred, he was smiling. Like he was, if you remember, whenever they were taking off, people saw him smiling and like waving at the crowd. And then even on the airplane, he's in in a good mood and he's like talking to all the crew members and like smiling. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He wasn't showing any some like signs that he was in that mindset. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I get it. Yeah. So, I mean, not everybody shows that they're in that mindset. So I can't say for sure that he wasn't suicidal. Um, and also Alfred was in just a little bit of financial trouble at the time of death. A- apparently he owed some money to people, but it, it wasn't, I don't think that it was enough for him to be suicidal. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think um, so, because like if that was the case, then you'd be like liquidating assets and like, you know. Yeah. I mean, he still had a ton of money. He was still in the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it's it's really hard for me to speak on. I think that's why I'm so hesitant, because people have their own reasons for taking this step. And I know that like not all, you know, not everybody is in the same kind of mindset whenever they do that. So like even a small financial trouble could set somebody off versus, you know, like somebody would have to take somebody a lot. You know what I mean? Very true. So I I just don't know. It's really hard for me to speak on, but according to everybody that knew him, he did not seem suicidal, nor did he seem to have any reason to be. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we are. Now, obviously, I'm just going to kind of like start this off by saying I don't think that this theory is accurate. Theory number two. Right. This this one that he was suicidal, he jumped off the plane of his own accord committing suicide. Right. And the reasons why I don't think that, that, that this could be a possibility is because he was actively making plans for the future. Right. If you, could re- if you remember from part one – 
there was a phone call overheard from Alfred to somebody else in the terminal of the airport making dinner plans with them for the oh, next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was also other reports of him like making plans for other things in the future. And I know not everybody that is in that mindset of like doing things, they act the same way. But from my understanding, most people that are in the mindset for suicide are not actively making plans for the future. At least not short term ones. Right. So also after the plane landed on that beach, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Little found like a set of notes that Alfred had been writing on the plane before his death. And the notes were about like money being owed and upcoming business dealings, like active plans for the future were like on these notes. And it just did not seem like a suicide note. You know what I mean? It it was literally him jotting down almost like an agenda. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Now, because of that, I don't think that he was willing to commit suicide because he's just actively making plans. Right. I I don't know. I just, that's it. You know, not only that, but circling back to the first theory, three inches. Yeah. There's no way that he opened the door and got out. Yeah. Well, that's also what I have at the end here is like, you know, it circles back to theory one that, you know, Alfred couldn't have opened that door by himself because he was weak Mm-hmm. You know, at the time he was, but even if he had been at his peak, he still shouldn't have really been able to open that. But even if he did, everybody would have known. Everybody. And it wouldn't be this big mystery of like, hey, the, the winds came a whipping and he was gone. Exactly. So with that, we're going to jump into our third theory. And this is the last theory we have. Okay. If it wasn't theory. an accident and it wasn't suicide. Then it was murder. 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 A murder most foul. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of people point out that it's impossible for one man to open the door mid-flight, as we just talked about in the last two theories. But it is shown that two men working together could manage it. Yeah. So with that, I mean, you know, meh. So he was like. Drew, get off that joystick and come back here and open this door so I can commit suicide. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what it was. Um, so there was there's no shortage of like strange behavior on behalf of like all of the all the crew members that were on that plane. Oh, they were sure. all acting sketchy as shit. Every single fucking one of them. And when people are acting sketchy, there's something going on. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we have to look at it. I mean, first we have to, you know, question like we did in part one and part two. Why the fuck did they land on that beach? And yeah. why did they not go to that airport that was literally right there? Okay. Why? So I'm getting a bit ahead of myself because you haven't gone into like the suspects and stuff and motives and everything else. But here's something I just thought about. Are you ready? Sure. What if somebody did see like somebody driving away or getting out at a different point? And that's because the person that they had on the plane was a devil and Alfred was already dead. I don't know. I, yeah, maybe they threw his body in the channel and like he was already murdered. They threw his body in the channel and then they said that he jumped out and then they had a body double waving at the airport to show like he actually got on the plane And then when they landed, that dude scooted out. I feel like that's doing too much. I feel like that's doing too much. If he's already dead before they ever even got on the plane, 
Why? I feel like they could have come up with a much better story. Plus, they ended up finding his body and every bone was broken. Mm, that's a good point. I, I just, I don't know. I feel like I feel like he was definitely on that plane, but I think he got thrown out of it. Okay. I mean, personally. Maybe that's why they were crying so much. I I don't know. And we'll we'll kind of discuss some of that in a little bit. Like I said, I was it's getting ahead just, of myself. Yeah, I, it's, it's really hard to really know mm-hmm. because they didn't investigate this shit enough. You know what I mean? Right. We have, we have like the story of, okay, well, we know that he was more than likely on that plane. Mm-hmm. And he definitely ended up outside of it into the channel. Right. Um, and every bone was broken and he had a large wound in his abdomen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Th- that's what we have to go with. Okay. You know what I mean? That's like that's, that's pretty much it. Um, but other than, you know, people acting all bizarre and stuff, we also have to look at the fact that there was obviously people lying. Yeah. You know, we have Drew telling, you know, giving interviews to these reporters and consistently changing up, a story. changing up a story. He's not consistent. He keeps fucking lying. And then we have people saying that he was reading books when he in fact never read. Mm-hmm. He never drank alcohol, but yet there was alcohol in his system. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how the fuck did that get there? Unless he just randomly decided on that airplane ride, oh, it's time to become an alcoholic. Yeah, right. I, you know, I don't know why. It would be in his system unless somebody had somehow poured it down his throat. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how that was a thing. Almost poisoned him with alcohol. Yeah. So, you know, why did the passengers insist that he had been reading before getting up? You know, why did the toxicology report say he had alcohol in his system? I, I We just don't know. Now, contributing to this theory... There's a story that Little actually told his wife, Julia Little, or Julie Little before his death, that he had been at the controls at the time of Alfred's disappearance. And before Alfred got up, Little saw Alfred remove his jacket, collar, and tie, stand up, and act like like he was gasping for air. Mm. Uh, Robert then told his wife, you know, Little, Mm -hmm. told his wife that he suspected Alfred had been poisoned. Uh, If Alfred had been murdered, then, I mean, there's kind of the question of, like, who did it, right? Sure. Um, But this is kind of, like, a very strange story to me because this is now the third time that poison has been brought up. And I don't know exactly how, uh, like, um, toxicology reports and stuff were done back in the 20s. Like, I don't know how broad they were. Sure. Uh, so I don't know if maybe like there was a poison that showed up as like alcohol mm-hmm. rather than poison, if that okay. makes sense on like a toxicology report. It just does. I do find it weird that, you know, convert was like, I don't want anybody to think he was poisoned. Yeah. And then like there was a leak of, you know, supposedly the alcohol or I mean the, sorry, the autopsy report saying that there was toxic matter found in his body. Mm-hmm. And now there's a story that supposedly, Little told his wife that he was gasping for air and he thought he might have been poisoned. Very poisoned behavior. It's very strange that there's like three incidences now of the mentioning of poison. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's very weird. You're tying this together very well. Yeah, so, you know, I personally think that he was murdered. So now, you know, with that, if he truly was, now we need to look at some suspects. Okay, so I think I'm also on board the murder train, or I should say the murder plane. Yeah. Um, but I, th- my motive is like the biggest one because 
someone would have to get paid off inside to be inside the aircraft. Mm-hmm. One of his employees had to be paid off or some of them have like a personal grudge. I don't know. Um, I mean, the world's your oyster with this one. I mean, he had no, he had no lack of enemies. Like right. he had so many of them and uh, th- who knows? I mean, truly, but we're going to at least look into some of the suspects there's no way in hell that we can go into every single one of them unless we wanted like a 15 episode podcast on just this case. Sure. Um, and like I said, I don't want to do that because I really do want people to pick up that book. Mm-hmm. Um, the man that fell from the sky, because that dude goes into so much detail. Why did little lie to his wife? I or don't... like lie to everybody and tell the truth to his wife. Sorry. Why did little tell his wife the truth, but lie to everybody for so Drew, long? Drew's the pilot. Drew's the one that kept lying. He's the one that changed his story. No, sure. But like little said that he saw that and he hid that information. Oh yeah. Everybody. Well, they all hid it. Right. So like, why? I don't know. And that, that's kind of the question. The mystery. Yeah, oh. absolutely. So our prime suspect are, or the suspects, rather, are obviously the people that were on the plane, uh, specifically the pilot Drew and mm-hmm. the mechanic Little. Mm-hmm. You know, as we can guess, you know their behavior was super suspicious, uh, more so reportedly than the rest of the group. Yeah, you know, and it's sure. it's kind of kind of obvious. Now here's a kind of like a weird thing or whatever. Little said that he was actually flying the plane when Albert first got up out of his chair and mm-hmm. then he like passed the controls over to drew. So with that knowledge, it was drew that made that decision to land on the beach instead of the airport. Right. So, you know, it's very suspicious to me. You know what I mean? Sure. It's very interesting at the, to say the least. Yeah. And as we talked about, you know, in part two, it's very weird that they knew that they had this radio on board, but nobody made a distress call. You know what I mean? No one called for help. And I'm still really unclear about what actually happened in the air. Like, did Drew circle around and, like, look for him? Did he not? And he went straight to the beach? Like, because he said so many stories, I don't know. I don't know. Because, like, there was one report, like, one uh, interview that he gave that he said that he just didn't. Mm-hmm. And one that said he did. Right. And then one that's like, well, I should have done this. And one that was just like, I didn't even have that in my head. Like, he could not keep his story straight to to save his life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I there's so many unknowns, so many question marks in this story that yeah. I'm like, I don't know what's, I mean, what to think. Drew gave so many contradicting stories, um, you know, about what happened before and after, you know, uh, Albert, you know, went missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for Little's part, you know, remember he discovered those notes that Albert had been writing on the airplane, right? Oh, With all of his... Who- yeah. He discovered. Okay. yeah, Little's the one that said that he found these notes about gotcha. Albert's future plans, right? Yes. He never gave those to the police. Oh, really? Yeah, he never did. And it wasn't like, I guess, until later. I was, I'm was. i not sure if he ev- eventually gave it to him or like the police somehow found them. But he, he did, at least initially, he did not give those to the police. And that's hmm. super sketchy. That is super suspicious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some speculate this was because the notes would like rule rule out the possibility the suicide. of suicide. Yeah. Um, and and that you know, Little and Drew kind of wanted to steer the police away from there being potential murder happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because most people are going to look at these life plans that you know Albert's making and being like, I don't think he was trying to commit suicide. 
Yeah. When yeah. you're talking about you're excited for your next plans to like meet up with your friend and like your next business dealings, people are not going to be like, he was obviously looking for a way out. Yeah. And then obviously, I mean, this is just kind of like tying back to things we've already talked about, but it's also, you know, we also have to look at the fact that they, they stood up in front of a judge, Drew and Little did, and straight up looked at the judge and said, we did these experiments where we could easily open the store. And that was a fucking lie. Super you know what I mean? So, you know, with all of this that we've talked about and just putting it together, it's it's very clear, at least to me, that there's something sketchy going on, especially with Drew and Little. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like the two main ones that are just like in this. You know what I mean? That like they're the. Yes. Everybody on that plane is sketchy because they were all there. But Drew and Little are by far like the most sketchy. For sure. And I think Drew more than Little. Little seems like he is a side character, as where Drew seems like the main character. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I try to look into, like, the future lives, or you know, of all of these crew members of, like, what they did after the plane. Yeah. And I couldn't. Unfortunately, it's so hard. It's ho- it's really hard to find records of people from, like, that far back. Mm-hmm. But I was able to find two kind of in- intriguing stories about two of the crew members. Ooh, okay. So Some we're going to. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Drew first. Uh, later in life, Drew kept flying. Like, he continued to be a pilot. Mm-hmm. But he kept really quiet about what had happened to Alfred. Like, he just. Didn't bring it up. He literally never told anybody that he had been involved. Didn't talk about it with anybody? Nothing. No. Now, here's the thing. is like, people talk. And Mm -hmm. if you're innocent, you have nothing to worry about, right? Yes. And it was said that Drew was a talkative motherfucker. And that makes it even more interesting to me. Uh, So, like, this dude loved to talk. He loved to hear himself speak. Mm -hmm. And he just never said a... He never said Albert's name again. Wow. Just never said shit. Um, now here's here's something kind of intriguing. Um, if you want to think about it, uh, apparently Drew had stomach cancer, and he was trying to keep it at bay by drinking away the pain. Oof. And apparently he kept a bottle of liquor in the cockpit with him like all the time. Uh huh. I think that's very intriguing because there was definitely alcohol in that plane then. Right. And there was alcohol found in Albert's system. True. So. Uh, Drew was also known as being a ladies man and there was some heavy speculation that he might have been involved like with you know Albert's murder or mm-hmm. if you well we don't know it's murder but murder sure um, because he was in love with Madeline Ooh. yeah and with Alfred out of the way shrug. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, she was about to become a very wealthy widow. Yeah. And maybe he thought having some of that money to keep him comfortable as he was sick. I, I don't know. Sure. There's just speculation that there might have been something going on, but there's no evidence to it. Yeah. And they definitely didn't like get together after, you know, Albert died. Right. So I don't know. I really don't know, but it, it is intriguing. Mm, interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Now, this is by far the most interesting story. Um, Like I said, I couldn't find much on anybody, and I found just like that little tidbit on Drew. But holy shit, did I find a fucking wild-ass story about Fred Baxter. Who's Fred Baxter? Remind me. He was Alfred's valet. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And he he was on the plane, obviously. Now, I think I read, like, or just remember, or maybe I'm making this up, but... Didn't a valet in the like twenties used to be more than just like I'm gonna drive a car. It was like helping like 
with everything, almost like a butler or like a manservant kind of thing. I think so, but I think that's more the chauffeur. But mm. I, I could be wrong. Maybe it is a valet. I fuck. I don't remember. I know he had both, and both of them were on this plane. Right. Okay. So like, I'm not a hundred percent sure like what their their job titles in, entailed. I I don't really know. Gotcha. I do know that they're like one of them, and it might have been the valet that was just like straight up like their man person. Yeah. Kind of like how um, women have like their uh, handmaidens and shit yep. or whatever. Yeah. I I don't really know. Um, so here, get this, like strap in for reals, because this story's fucking crazy, okay? All right, Fred Baxter, the valet, here yeah. we go. Okay, so to my surprise, after Alfred's death, uh, he actually ended up being employed by Alfred's son, Bobby, okay. who was just 18, year old, 18 years old when, when he, his father died. So like, Alfred died, Fred Baxter gets employed by Alfred's son, Bobby. Keeping it in the family. Yeah, who was just 18, okay? So apparently he became pretty good friends with Baxter and the new luxury thrown on him was kind of going to his head. Mm. And with that, Baxter became very unlikable, apparently. (laughs) Now, there was a man named Teddy Morris who worked as an undergardener for Bobby who called Baxter, quote, a pompous little bugger. (laughs) And uh, apparently he was no stranger to violence when drinking. Hmm. Now, apparently, eventually, somebody actually asked Baxter what had happened to Alfred. Mm -hmm. Like, somebody came up to him, and they're like, we know you were on that plane. What happened to him? Right. Baxter just sitting in a cafe, and they walk up, and they're like, hey, motherfucker. I'm not sure who asked him, but somebody did, and apparently, Baxter just, like, straight up refused to answer. Was just like, nope. Ooh, that's an interesting response. Yeah, just like, nope, not talking about it at all. Apparently, from my understanding, everybody that was on that plane took the same stance. They would, like, they gave interviews with reporters and talked to police and shit, but, like, eventually they all just went really tight lipped and nobody would talk about it at all. So, like, once the investigation was, was and done, like, the news media hubbub was over, they were like, foul of silence. Yep. Very interesting. Yeah, like uh, that was kind of like across the board with all of them. They just would not talk about it. That's suspicious AF. Yeah. Now, eventually, Bobby Lovenstein grew bored in his hometown and moved to Paris, right? Okay. And he took Fred Baxter with him. Yes. Baxter didn't live with Bobby. He had like a room nearby in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And then Bobby lived in a um, an apartment. And yeah. then every day, Baxter would kind of like walk to Bobby's to do his like valet duties. Gotcha. As stated, Bobby and Baxter were really good friends. And they often partied together and like drank together and stuff. Now, one morning on April 22nd, 1932, Baxter left his room, walked across the street to this restaurant that he ate uh, breakfast at every morning. People reported that all was normal except that Baxter randomly received a phone call. And apparently this was very out of character because apparently Baxter went there like every morning and had breakfast. And it was like the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. Like felt like very Groundhog Day. It was just like the same shit. You was, know what I mean? Yeah, that was his jam. And then all of a sudden he gets this random phone call and it was so out of character that people remembered it. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, people reported that it was mysterious, but you know, whatever. Uh, the valet seemed unbothered by the call though. And he left the restaurant and went back to his hotel. Right. When he went back to the hotel... He paid his weekly dues to the hotel and then walked around the corner to Bobby's apartment. 
Now, we have absolutely no idea what happened next in the following hours. Okay. But what we do know is that Bobby told the police that he left his apartment on foot around 4 p.m., arrived back to his apartment two hours later, noting that the front door was unlocked. Okay. And there was a note pinned to it stating, quote, don't come in, go and stay with the countess. And apparently the countess, there was like a countess that used to live next door to Bobby. And that's Mm -hmm. who he's talking about. Now, Bobby stated he went in through a neighbor's apartment and made his way into his own apartment through a balcony window. So he like went to the back and kind of like climbed over from like one balcony to the other. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. Clever. I like it. So when he did that, he found Baxter lying on the floor with a gunshot wound to his right temple. There was a revolver lying nearby and Baxter was rushed to the hospital. Like he was alive, surprisingly, but he was breathing very heavily and he died three hours, three hours later without ever regaining consciousness. Hmm. Now they ruled his death as a suicide, but many believe that there was more to it. The notes weird. Bobby was acting really strangely. Like he was panicking. He left his his apartment immediately went to a friend's house, called his mother, then got in his car and drove all the way to Brussels. Really? Two days later, he went to London where he actually persuaded the police to keep Baxter's death a secret. What? Yeah, like, he he straight up paid somebody off. Yeah. Like, he went to the police and was like, here's the money, don't tell anybody. Well, you're not going to persuade somebody without, you know, incentive, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it's just like, you don't pay the police off unless there's a reason. Yeah. Like, Come on. What's a very suspicious thing to do? Yeah. Now, it took a week before the press learned of the death. Okay. And it was found out later that the revolver had belonged to Bobby and was never kept in the house. Like, never kept in the house. He always kept it in the glove compartment of his car. Yeah. So that that gun should not have even been in that house. Right. Yeah. Now, when an autopsy would reveal that Baxter had drunk a full bottle of liquor before Mm -hmm. his death and he had actually laid out Bobby's recently uh, pressed clothing. Yeah. And then he also wrote a farewell letter that read, quote, goodbye, sir. I recommend I recommend my friend Alexander to replace me. Take him. He's a good man. Pay him well at least three times what you paid me. Your laundry is the first on the right going down the Avenue de Maine. In future, don't drive so fast, for that's what has ruined my nerves. Give the money that you owe the Countess for the picture to the concierge. Uh, I've spent your Swiss and Belgian money. I'm a coward and haven't got the pluck to face the consequences. Goodbye, sir. Fred. P.S. Don't drive so fast. What? Yeah. So that was the note that was apparently left as quote unquote a suicide letter. But here, here's my take on it. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't think if if Fred wrote that letter, it doesn't even sound like a suit. It could it could be a suicide letter, but it could just sound like somebody that was leaving. Yeah. Like he was just like I did something shady. Like I spent your money. And I'm like, here's like instructions, like your clothes are here or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Right. I'm, I'm taking, I'm making a run for it. It's a very weird suicide note is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like a suicide note to me personally. Bobby came back, found him. He like had, he confronted him about the note and then he was so mad. He shot him in the head. I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of get into it a little bit in just a second. But, like, obviously, it became heavily rumored that Bobby killed Baxter. Right. Um, 
perhaps maybe he learned that Baxter was involved in his father's death. Ooh. Um, we just, we just don't know. Um, uh, okay. So this is my theory on like what happened. I think, I think potentially what might've happened is that Bobby and Baxter were hanging out at his apartment. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think like uh, Baxter had like done his duties and like kind of laid out the clothes for, for Baxter. I think they started drinking with one another mm-hmm. and I think Baxter might've said something. Ooh. Okay. I mean, personally, I, I don't know. Slip. I don't know. I, the note does kind of throw me off. Maybe, maybe Bobby did leave the apartment and maybe Baxter had been drinking at that time or something. And Baxter was going to like take off. Mm-hmm. I don't know where this note plays in effect, but I really do think that at some point, I think Baxter said something like, let it slip that maybe they had act, like killed their killed his father. Right. I really do kind of wonder if that might've been what happened and then he got a shot to the fucking face. Mm, I I be. just, I don't know. It Maybe, maybe they just got in a fight over something else. I really do believe that Bobby killed Baxter, though. Do you but, think that uh, Baxter really spent all his money? I, I have no idea. I don't even know if Baxter really wrote that letter. Right. Bobby could have written it. Right, for sure. I, I just don't know. I think it's a very strange fucking note. Mm-hmm. And I don't know like how well you know handwriting analysis was back then, if they even did that, or if Bobby was just like, hey, look, I'm rich, and this dude wrote this letter, and it was suicide, right, guys? And the police were like, absolutely. I just, I don't know. It's like, I found this letter on top of this stack of money. Look at them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's very fucking weird, but I do I do find it strange that Baxter was on the airplane when Bobby's dad went quote unquote missing mm-hmm. and then was found dead. And now Baxter's dead by Bobby. Interesting conclusion. Yeah. So like, it just seems weird. It, it makes me think that one Bobby killed Baxter or was involved at least. Yeah. Or something. But like, I, I just have to believe that it has to do something with Albert or I mean, Alfred. Sorry. Yeah. I just, I don't know though. That's a, that's a very reasonable, uh, piecing together. It is. Um, because like, I mean, now they could be completely unrelated. It could just be like Baxter was a shitty dude. It could be a weird coincidence. You know what I mean? Like how it all just kind of like ties together, how everybody knew each other. But I don't know, just like there's a part of me that's like, it's just too weird. Mm -hmm. It's too weird for it to not go down like that somehow. Yeah. It's some very eyebrow raising uh, coincidence. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, regardless one way or another, Baxter, you know, ended up dead. Bobby was never charged. Nobody who ever, you know, his death was ruled of a suicide and that's the way that it stayed, really? you know? So I don't know. I feel like Bobby got away with murder, but then again, I think Baxter might've gotten away with at least conspiring or, you know, concealing. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I think Baxter was definitely a part of Alfred's murder. So it almost feels like revenge. <laughs> yeah, like a vindication, a yeah. justification for his like slaying. I mean, I'm not saying that anybody deserves to die. You know what I mean? That's not what I'm getting at. It's just, it. it's very strange. It, it almost feels like in a very strange, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like 
well, you had it coming. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't, I just don't know. Karma's a bitch. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, regardless of one way or another, if Drew or Baxter or Little or anybody else on board for that matter was responsible for shoving Alfred off of this plane, the rest of the passengers would have had, would have all had to agree to keep their mouths shut or would have right. been in on it themselves. For sure. I mean, that's, that's without a doubt, right? If that's the case, William Norris, the author of the book that I keep talking about, The Man Who Fell from the Sky, argues that someone likely paid everybody off. Had to. Yeah. And then, you know, it kind of becomes a question of who, who the fuck paid him off. Mm -hmm, You know mm -hmm, what I mean? Right. Um, But I will say this, and this is very interesting. Like I said, I couldn't find a lot of information on most of the people, like in their lives after the plane. I feel like a lot of them, like... After everything happened, they just kind of went into almost hiding. Right. Just stayed under the radar. They definitely did. That's the way that it seems. It seems like this happened and they were like, well, we got to disappear. But what we do know, besides the fact that everybody kept their mouth shut about mm-hmm. what happened, apparently everybody on board list lived the rest of their lives pretty comfortably. Mm. Like they were not rich, like rich, rich, but right. they lived comfortably. Interesting. And it kind of becomes like how? Yeah. Yeah. Like where, okay, so you're paying for, you know, a $300,000 a year lifestyle off of a $60,000 income. It's kind of like one of those things of like, well, you can't be rich because that would, that would throw too many red flags in there for the police. Right. But like, I'll make sure that you live comfortably. I'll Mm -hmm. make sure that like you're taken care of. Yeah. Like you might still work, you know, because you have to, to, but not going to let you starve or be out on the street and you're going to kind of get like some of the luxury that mm-hmm. that's the way that it kind of seems interesting. Yeah. So with that, we're going to get into our first like major suspect other than the people on the crew. And that would be Madeline. Oh, I was going to go with his horses. <laughs> maybe, maybe they trampled him. Maybe right. they just like kicked him off the plane. They're like, this dude keeps sitting on us. We're over it. <laughs> We need to get rid of him. Yeah, I mean, maybe. You never know. It could be. Could be. So Madeline would, you know, definitely benefit financially from her husband's death. For sure. And their relationship appeared to be all accounts. It did appear to be amicable. Like, you know what I mean? They they did have, like, some weird respect for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Madeline was, like, pretty much freely reaping the benefits of her husband's wealth while he was alive. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there were not really many demands put upon her other than like, show up to this dinner with me and make sure you're dressed. Right. But she was about that anyways. Like she was about getting dressed up and, you know, living that life. So that didn't, I'm sure that didn't really bother her to do that. Right. I mean, she had very strange behavior like after, you know, he disappeared, obviously. Sure. Her behavior upon finding out he was missing was kind of like sus. Yeah. But I don't know if I'd be like, that's enough for like the murder. Yeah. So uh, here's here's something that's going to make you kind of raise a, an eyebrow a little bit. Okay. Apparently, Madeline hadn't felt able to attend her husband's funeral. She just hmm. didn't fucking go. But yet she sure as shit felt well enough to attend the wills reading just two days prior. Hmm. Okay. So like she was okay to go and have that will read, but she was like, fuck the funeral. Mm-hmm. So like at the end of the day, after everything's said and done, I, th- you know, as shitty as battling seems to me, I'm also kind of on the same board of like, I don't, I actually don't think she did it. 
I don't think that she like paid anybody off to like, you know, kill him or anything like that. Because honestly, to me, he was worth more alive than dead to her. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. So I, I, you know, there's like a part of it where like, you know, reading all of the, the things about this and like going through the case where it's like, you know, you have hit after hit where they like, you know, ordered this autopsy mm-hmm. and they try to, it sounds very secretive and like, Hey guys, we got to keep this under wraps so that, you know, nobody finds out that we did this. I, I truly don't think that they did it. It does. Even okay. with all of that, I, I still don't think that Madeline did it. But it is real easy to like dip your toe into that water and be like, Oh, it's very suspicious behavior. It is very suspicious because like, it, it's very hard for me to make that determination because like I sit there and I look at it and I'm like, do she went, she like, it's almost like she knew he was dead from the moment that they told her that he was missing. Mm-hmm. She went into full mourning, apparently wearing all black. You know, it's like she wanted to make an appearance to look like she's like the sad widow you know what I mean? And then, you know, they immediately took possession of his body and hired, you know, private people to do these autopsies. And then, like, weird reports were coming out. And then that press conference with converts, like, really weird with, like, the poison it is. and stuff. But even with that, I, like, seeing the kind of person that Madeline was, I'm going to stick with my story of that Albert, Alfred. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time saying his name. Alfred was worth more alive to her than dead. Because if he's dead, he's not making money. And he's not bringing in money. And she wants that money. Which, fair. I get that. I'm not disagreeing with you on that. But I'm, I think that she was involved. I don't think she was the mastermind. I don't think she was the driving force. I don't know. And I think the reason why I say that is because of what we'll get into in just a second. Okay. Um, well, before you get into that... I'm just going to say, I think that she had knowledge of it. She knew what was going down. I don't know. The will had been, there had been a will, you know what I mean, drawn up for um, Alfred about a year prior to his death. Okay. And it was notably pretty simple, even though like his state was not, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It was actually kind of viewed as very strange because everything was so complicated Mm -hmm. with like his financial stuff, Uh, you know, like his estate and then, like, all of his business stuff, like, it was very complicated. But yet, his will was very simple. So people thought right. that was kind of weird. Um, but regardless, one way or another, his fortune was estimated to uh, to be around $24 million, which in today's money is more than $1 billion. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Now, this, this only represented the value of his shares in international holdings, which I know you don't know what that is yet. We'll kind of get into that in a minute. Um, but that was only his shares in this one business. So not as like property or... Correct. Uh, okay. Yeah. And th- it, even so, even with that, that number was considered a conservative figure. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in uh, at the time of his death, it was figured that the shares were around $53 million. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's- Which... So about, you know, $2 million or more or whatever. $2 billion. Billion, yeah. Uh, so in other words, you know, he was worth more grinding in life than dead on a slab to Agreed. me. Yeah. And that's why, I, that's why I say it's hard for me to say that Madeline didn't do it. But, like, I just, man, I just don't think she did it because 
if he's not working, he's not making money. True. You but know, it is very easy to say like, oh, he had all this, you know, worth, but none of it that was like accessible by her because he would have to sell all those shares, which would like mess with his plans. And he could probably be like, well, we're not doing that because like I have these plans in place. I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's very possible she could have done it. I you mean, know what I mean? You it, said he owed money, you know? I, he did owe money, but who's he? She probably still had to pay that shit even after he was dead. Sure, but when that you're debt doesn't go away. When you liquidate everything, and you're like, okay, because I don't give a shit about business. I give a like, I care about cash in hand. You know sure. what's in my account, and then she liquidates the account, the shareholdings, and she's like, oh, I owe you uh, what a hundred thousand dollars? Who cares? Just throwing cash away. I have no idea how much money he owed. I, I, who knows? Now, you know, there is a strike, obviously, against her, other than the things that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a hefty inheritance. And Madeline Bobby, you know, which was the son, right. were each left with half of it. So, like, everything that, you know, he left behind, they split down the middle. Okay. Plus, but Bobby was, like, underage at yeah. that time. So, Madeline essentially got the whole pot because it was, mm. like, in a trust for Bobby. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, she didn't leave him high and dry, which, right. you know, that that's good at least. You know, because he was... He still walked away with a shitload of money. You know what I mean? Whenever but he was she, able to cash out. She was the executor of She was trust? definitely, yeah, The she definitely held all the money. Oh. Yeah. Now, after his death, Madeline just kind of kept living as she had before. Legit nothing changed other than Alfred was now dead. Right. And there was no evidence of great or lasting sorrow. Like, at all. And this this kind of did leave people to believe that an affair with Drew was possible. Mm-hmm. Especially in her haste to find a body, Drew had been right there to help. Gotcha. Yeah. Plus, it was at her, like, request that Drew and Little come to the inquiry before the judge, where they told their dumbass story about the door, <laughs> you know, being easily opened. Right. So, it, it is very fucking weird that, you know, it, it could be that Drew might have had a crush on Madeline. Mm-hmm. And Madeline's like, well, if you do this for me. Right. You she know what I mean? Use the I'll, shit out I will be with you or whatever. And he's like, whatever you say, Madeline. Mm-hmm. And maybe they killed him. And then afterwards, Madeline's like, nah. You know what I mean? JK. And, you know, it could have just been one of those things where, like, Drew's like, well, I'm going to go to the police. And she'd be like, well, you're going to go to jail, too, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. who fucking knows? That's a good point. You know, we just we just don't know. So at the end, that's kind of like what we've got on Madeline. She could have been it. I don't know. But there is another possibility. Okay. What's the other possibility? The other possibility is there are groups of suspects who would want Albert or I keep wanting to say Albert and I don't know why um, that they would want Alfred dead. And these are various business competitors and associates. The Illuminati. And yeah, the Illuminati. Why the fuck not? And this is kind of why we got so heavy into the business side of, of Alfred's life, especially in part one. And I was just trying to really paint a picture of the kind of life that he led and how people were consistently backstabbing each other. Because if it wasn't Madeline, who else would want him dead other than the people that he had pissed off? Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, Al- Alfred's financial ties were like complex and vast. Mm-hmm. And there was no shortage of people who had an interest in seeing Al- Alfred dead. Right. And per- there, there's a shitload of people. That fall under this umbrella. Okay. Like I'm, I'm telling you, there like are people to gain from. My his God, there's so many. Absolutely, and like I, I'm going to say it for like the tenth time. 
go read that book, The Man That Fell From The Sky, because he gives like a full breakdown of like the the major like players of like who could want, you know, Alfred dead mm-hmm. and, and the reasons why, like the, the financial backings of like what happened to lead. The business motives. Yeah, absolutely. It is so much and um, very fascinating and holy shit. Wow. You know what I mean? Like okay. some real fucked up shit. So I decided to, whenever I was kind of doing like the theories and suspects part, I held on to two different people. Okay. So two caught your interest the most. Two caught my interest the most. There were actually two other people, but I'm going to leave those for you to read in the book. Um, Cause I really want you to, but we're going <laughs> to, we're going to talk about these two people. And these two people are major Alfred Pam. Okay. I said, Alfred motherfucker, major <laughs> Al. Albert Pam and Mr. Frederick Servassi. So Major Al, I'm going to keep getting it fucking wrong. Major Pam, which is so (laughs) fucking funny to me. I don't know why. Major Pam had been an officer of the British Empire and got to see a pretty long life, dying of natural causes at 80. And I put that in here because, like, it seems like nobody dies at an old age in this story, so... And just, it was so fascinating to finally see somebody as like, oh, they died of old age. Fair enough. Um, He had kind of the same upbringing as Albert in that he was born in a life with no money and kind of made a name for himself. He began his business career by working without pay for a sugar merchant. Uh, It was said that Pam's father was ill-tempered, something that Pam ended up picking up himself, which kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, Apparently, he was just a fucking asshole. Real dick. A real fucking douchebag. <laughs> All right. So he was known to be difficult to work with, obviously, but he was also known to be highly intelligent and efficient, but also like gruff and pretty prickly with his manners. Okay. Uh, people admired him, but like many hated him. Uh, but, you know, uh, Alfred probably hated him the most, you know, later on in life. Really? Um, so Pam and Alfred crossed paths in 1922, though we're not exactly sure how. Like, we don't know how they first came into contact with each other. But in the beginning, there was like a huge air of trust between the two of them. Pam considered uh, was considered a respectable figure in the financial world, and his war records were like impeccable. But there's not to say that Pam's financial background was just as shady as the rest of them. Okay. Like he was he was fucking shady as hell. He did some pretty outrageous dealings throughout his time, even before coming into contact with Alfred. So he was screwing over people real early on. Yeah. So like he was he kind of like grew up with an asshole father, mm-hmm. kind of became an asshole himself, joined the military, went through like the war, and he like did well there. You know what I mean? Um, had an impeccable record. And then after he got out of the military, he hit the financial world and just became shady as shit. Mm, okay. So th- that's kind of what it seemed like. Now, if if we think that Alfred and Pam were shady creatures, Alexander Servasi was worse. Really? Yeah. He was the son of a banker and almost nothing is known of him of his early years. Like, hmm. we don't know shit about him in his early years other than that. He was keeping it on lock. It, it, that's the way it seems. By 1919, he became chairman and managing director of the British Foreign and Colonial Corporation. That's a big corporation. It, it, sure. I don't even know what the fuck it is, but it sounds fancy. Uh, he owned like 22,785 shilling shares. 
It's a lot of shillings, a lot of shares. It's a lot of shares, that's for sure. He owned a lot of them. And he ended up taking control of the company um, and, like the others, was doing some really shady shit. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he was just... We don't have, like, a full background on this dude. I mean, I think you can get a pretty good, vast understanding of him in the book. Mm -hmm. But, I'm like, it's so much. It's so much to, like try to understand into. and like try to tell you about just understand that these two motherfuckers were shady as shit. You right, know what without I mean? Doing full episodes on the shadiness that they did. Yeah, absolutely. I'm telling you, if we were to do like a full out, like investigative thing on this, we would end up with like a 10, 15, 20 episode podcast on just this case. There's really? it's just so much shit. And the majority of it is just shady background financial like shit. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So in the end, you know, all three men were powerful in their own ways. Sure. They were ruthless and very talented and all ended up being three major stockholders of a company called International Holdings. Like they were the three main guys. Like it was them. You okay. know what I mean? Gotcha. Now, without Albert in the picture, I said it again. It, I think that's why is because one's name is Al- Albert and the other one's Alfred. And I keep like flipping them. Crisscross. Yeah. So without Alfred in the picture, Pam and Sarvasi would see very serious financial gain. Mm-hmm. While the stock crashed after Alfred went missing, if someone had uh, advanced knowledge of his demise, they could have so- stood to seriously profit. Okay. Yeah. Now, before we get into this, we're getting into a little bit of more financial stuff, but it's not near as like in depth and, and like twisty as like part one. So like bear with me and it's very worth hearing. And there's like a reason why I'm going into this because as shady as Madeline sounded, mm-hmm. this is the one I think happened. Okay. Personally, this is what I think was like the real shade. Yeah. I think this is what happened. So on the day that Alfred disappeared, stock exchanges in Europe were closed. Mm-hmm. But people learned uh, learned about it in the in the newspaper the next day. Yeah, and people who held stocks like panicked. Really? Uh, yeah, because like he was said to own a large fucking share of, sh- of stocks, mm-hmm. and they were afraid with his death that the entire thing would just crash. Okay, because he was holding so much stock. Like right. Material. Gotcha. He was one of the three major stockholders in yeah. this company. And all of a sudden now he's dead. So oh, people, okay. so people are panicking. Yeah. So because of that, people rush to sell their shares before like the, the uh, amount of it could like plummet. Mm-hmm, Do you get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Right. And they continue to plummet well past finding Alfred dead with Pam and Sarvasky. They like panic themselves right at this point because they're like, two major stockholders and now like all the stocks are plummeting Mm -hmm. and they're freaking the fuck out. Right. Yeah. So they ended up rushing out and made a statement and that state, that statement reads quote, in view of the regrettable death of captain Alfred Lovenstein, president of the international holdings and investment company and the hydroelectric securities corporation, we, the understand, as members of the advisory committee acting for the two companies, state that the financial position of both companies is sound and that the very large shareholdings of the late Captain Lovenstein in the two companies are, in the main, to the best of our knowledge, unencumbered. It is yet too early to say what arrangements are to be made to fill the place of Captain Lovenstein as president of the two companies, 
but due to consideration is being given to the matter by the board in Canada, and an early announcement will be made. There is nothing in the situation as we understand it today which, in our opinion, need give rise to any anxiety. Our advice to the companies will be to continue and further develop the well-conceived policy agreed on by us with Captain Lovenstein. The contemplated sale by the International Holdings and Investment Company of the unissued shares in the company will be proceeded with forthwith. Hmm. So essentially, they're like, y'all chill out. Yeah, they're like, you're fucking this up. Yeah, like there's literally, you have no reason to like freak out. Yeah, they're like, dude's dead. There's no change. We're going to keep doing everything that we were doing. But another thing that I found really interesting about this is they said that like the rumor about him holding all these shares is just that a rumor. He doesn't really have all of those. So because of that, y'all don't need to worry. Mm. Don't worry. Cause he didn't even own that many shares. That's literally what they said. Interesting. And like, I feel like that was bullshit. We don't know for an absolute certainty yeah. or maybe we do, but I like, I feel like I didn't read that part, I guess maybe, I don't know. But I feel like since he was like, the fucking president and one of the three like big wigs in this, he would own most of the fucking shares along with the two others. Well, I think my confusion comes with the fact of why his death caused everybody to panic because like, yeah, now like his shares are going to get like transferred to somebody else. But I don't, I guess I don't really know, but they panicked. Yeah. Okay. I mean, regardless one way or another, regardless of anything, this literally happened. Like people panicked. panicked. I don't know enough about the stock market about like why that would make somebody panic, but it made them panic. And because everybody started selling shit, those stocks plummeted. And that like is fact. So I know that like when that kind of thing happens, people are worried about like new ownership and which way the company is going to go. Lowenstein was like taking the company to high places. Maybe they were worried about like, you know, now these other two guys are going to trash it all. His like brilliant business mind isn't there, so it's not going to go well. I don't know. I, ju- I don't have an answer for that. I'm just saying that's my speculation. I, I don't remember reading anything about that, so I, I don't have an opinion on it because I just don't know. But th- it is possible. That could be the reason why. Yeah, I don't know. I'm here to present the facts. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fair enough. So anyways... Um, but regardless one way or another, this this like press conference, it, it just kind of seems weird to me. This is supposed to be a reassurance that business will carry on as usual. Like nobody panic. Every everything is fine. Right. But then in the same breath, they were like, Yeah, we're gonna dump more shares on the market that is already in steep decline. Okay, bye. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I think that's really fucked up as like they were literally telling people, Hey guys, don't worry. We're we're just we're going to put more stocks out there. We just, we're going to throw more of them out there for you. It's going to be fine. Just don't worry. It's don't even look at the steep decline. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. It's just fine. That's literally what they're fucking doing. Yeah. It, it's just so fucking weird. And obviously this would further dilute the capital of the company and depress the price even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, the statement did its job and seemed to settle people's nerves. Like even, even like, Hearing that, like hearing what the fuck they're saying, this calmed people down. I guess it's no, some news is better than no news. Like, I guess maybe they were, maybe for some reason they thought, oh, more stocks out there. Like, okay, if they're willing to do that, mm-hmm. then it, that's, then it's fine. I, I don't really know. To me, that would not calm me down. I don't know. I'm, it just wouldn't. 
Maybe they're reading something into it that I'm not, or I'm just misunderstanding something. I, I don't know. You want to go back and like look at it again? No, I'm just, it, I, I think I'm picking up everything, but I guess I don't understand why releasing more shares on top of would help. Well, that's, that's the whole point is like, that's what I don't understand either. I right. don't understand why they think that throwing more shares out there would calm people down, but yet that's what they told people and it calmed them down. Yeah. I, I'm kind of as lost as you are as to why that's a thing. Well, Maybe a fiend will write in and give us a breakdown. I mean, maybe so. Maybe like, like I said, stocks are not my thing. Same. So like, if there's a reason why this should calm people down, if somebody knows better than us, I would love to hear it because reading their statement and like, kind of like breaking it down, it made no sense to me of why that would calm people down. Right. So a correspondent of the Toronto Daily Mail ended up pointing out that, quote, anyone who knew Albert uh, was going to die or apparently going to die would have made millions by selling shares short. Mm -hmm. Now, I bring this up because looking at reports from a week before Alfred died, international holding shares had randomly dropped to $13, whereas the day before they had been $130. Oh, wow. And what's weirder is there's no documented account for this decline. There's really? n- there's no reason for it. That's We just don't know. We don't know why they dropped. That's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Now... There is this, though, okay? It was later found out that International Holdings Board made a 10 to 1 share issue, increasing capital from 500,000 to 5 million shares. This decision had been made before Alfred died, making it obvious that he knew about this decision and it would make him about $2 million, but it hadn't because he died. Mm-hmm. Instead, that lovely scheme fell to the other two men at play, Pam and uh, Servassi. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, the Times of London ended up reporting, quote, the company has acquired and now holds options on certain securities, which if the option were exercised and the securities realized at current market prices would represent a further profit of over two, I mean, over four million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Soon after the statement from Pam and Sarvasi, it was made public that they had formed an organization to buy all of the previously unissued shares in international holding uh-huh. at the bottomed out prices. Which, hoping after they buy them out at bottom out prices, they're going to rise and they're going to make a bunch of money. Exactly. So... When it was all said and done, they had saved five million pounds by buying these stocks after the plummet after Alfred's death. Yeah. Um, and with that, the stocks leveled out and they profited big time. Pam and Sarvasi announced, quote, in addition to the profits stated, the company, Pam and Sarvasi, uh, had realized profit arising of the transaction of a special nature amounting to $13,226,137, which is the current day equivalent of, of over $200 million. And I wrote in all capital letters, follow the money, man. Yeah. So like they, they schwack this dude and they take in millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. So this this is kind of um I feel like this is probably what happened because there were things happening before he died. Um and then two people proper uh, profited 200 million dollars pretty much from his death. 
it seems like this shit played out to somebody's exact scheme scheme. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you literally look at this, like, and you kind of did like break it up bits by bits, Mm -hmm. they literally made a deal before Alfred died to do this scheme. And I feel like Pam and Sarvasi were like, but if we get rid of him, they felt like they were getting the short end of the stick. So they trashed Alfred that way they could pick up the uh, major gain. And they ended up with $200 million. In today's money. Yeah, in today's money. Yeah. The equivalency of. That's a lot of money. So could it have been Madeline? Sure. I mean, she could have just really hated her husband and she wanted him out of the picture for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. It's very possible there was a lot of shady shit that happened there for sure. Madeline did some real fucking interesting things that makes her look real suspicious and real guilty. I still don't think she did it. I think that these motherfuckers did. So like based on that information right there, they might've been like holding her nose to the grindstone on it about like, if you don't go along with this plan, then like we're going to, trash the stocks and you're going to have zero money because all all of his fortune or like a big amount of his fortune is loaded into the international holdings funds yeah i don't know i just it who knows who knows what i mean maybe they were all in on it i I mean it it's that's what's really fucked up about this case is like you just there's so much shady shit going on that you can literally make dots out of almost all of it yeah. You need like a red string and a bunch of pictures. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Because I don't know, but I I just I feel like with the life that the the, the the life that this dude lived was all money, all backstabbing, all schemes, all pissing people off, and now you have 200 two people making 200 million dollars off of his dead body. Mhm. It just I don't know. Yeah. It seems very interesting to me because you have three major players in the game. They like, and then Alfred like does this like really shady dealing to like drop the stock, stock, uh, like the stock value, mm-hmm. like really low before his death in order to profit. And then all of a sudden he ends up dead and the two other major players make $200 million. Come on. I feel like this is like insider trading stuff. It, it really, it's, it's so much like financial bullshit, but I think at the end of the day, like my heart really feels like these two motherfuckers did it. I could, yeah, I could buy that. So anyways, um, at the end of the day, there are many more that you could potentially point the finger at and shout, that's the killer. Right. You know, because Alfred had a ton of enemies. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I outlined who I thought was most likely. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? I honestly think, I don't think that if Madeline did it or like these two, you know, Pam and Sarvasi, if they did it, I, obviously they're not the ones that pushed Alfred from that plane. No, but they were the ones paying the bills for whoever was. I definitely think that they paid off the people in the plane. I really think that Drew and Little are probably the ones that killed him. Yeah. I think they pushed him out of that plane and they paid everybody else to keep him real quiet. I think it was Drew and Baxter. You think it was Baxter? I think Baxter, it had to be because like, if Drew and Little are the ones like swapping, flying the plane, right? Okay. All One right. of them's got to be at the stick. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know who actually pulled the trigger, so to speak, you know, on, on his death. Um, but I definitely think that 
uh, Al- Alfred was murdered for yeah, sure. And I, I so everybody on that plane was, was paid off to keep real quiet. I think Baxter's key in this because he's the one who had access to the drinks, the poison. If you're going to poison him, like he's the one who would be like, you know, mixing him a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Yeah, maybe. I. It's it's kind of it's uh, it's up in the air about who did it. There was what like seven people on that plane um, that could have done it. Mm-hmm. So who fucking knows? Yeah, you know what I mean. But at the end of the day, like I said, every I think everybody on that plane had at least some small part in it. At least. At least one had one major role, two, three, who sure. knows. I think they were all paid off, and I really honestly think Pam and Sarvasi are the ones that did it. I would agree with that um, assessment. It could have been Madeline, though. Who fucking knows? You it, know, Drew could have had, like, a hard-on for Madeline, and somehow Drew was able to convince everybody else on that plane to keep quiet. But I just really feel like it had to—I feel like there had to be more money and more power to make this happen than Madeline had. I would agree. Like personally, and I think Pam and Sarvasi had that power and money. So that's just my own, you know, feelings about it. If you want to hear even more, you know, detail about this story and get like the full grasp and like the crazy fucking details, like I said, pick up that book, man. Um, the man who fell from the sky. It'll make your head spin. Schemers. Like in in a good way. Like it it'll make your head spin. There's just so much shit. Yikes on bikes. Yeah. So Alfred, you know, to kind of tie this up, Alfred was buried in a cemetery called Brussels Communal Cemetery outside of Iver, Iveri. Mm. I don't know. It serves the city of Brussels. Now, there are three plots that can be purchased from there. Those with lesser means, you can pay for like 15 or 50 years before being dug up and having the plots resold. What? Yeah. Or you can pay to stay there forever. Now, Alfred was able to buy permanent residence there, taking up three grave plots with a tomb that is covered in a plain black slab of polished marble. Apparently, originally, his plot was unmarked. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Like they just never carved his name in the tomb. But now if you visit it, it has the markings of Familia Lovenstein Miocinet with Madeline eternally resting right next to Alfred. Well, that says something, doesn't it? Yeah. So it, it, I did think it was weird that they were like, well, in the hole you go. And then they put like the, the slab on him, but they just like never marked it. Like it's so fucked up to me because like every account that you read, Madeline and, and Alfred seem to have like this amicable relationship where there wasn't like really love there. Yeah. But it was like respect. Mm-hmm. And and like love in its own sense, exactly. But yet, like everything she did afterwards, like kind of didn't seem like she gave even one flying fuck, mm-hmm. including not even caring enough to put his name on his fucking grave. I also think that maybe that was done so that people weren't going around rooting around for him, trying to find him to like do more autopsies. <sighs> maybe I I don't really know, but I mean he wasn't even buried with his damn organs. Yeah, good point. So. You know, at least at the end of the day, she ended up being buried next to him. So I guess like unless that was like done against her will, at least she cared enough to like, I guess, rest for the rest of eternity next to him. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I've got for you. That's kind of all the theories and like major suspects, at least in my mind. There are more suspects, but there's just too many to like name on this show. Like, seriously, but if you want to get a full understanding, pick up the book. Um, you know, make up your own mind about it. I, I'd love to hear what y'all think, who y'all think did it. There's no way in the f- in fucking hell I think that this dude 
that this was an accident or suicide. Right. No way. This dude was murdered. Absolutely. In my opinion, at that point, it just kind of becomes like who Mm -hmm. and how. Yeah. For sure. You know what I mean? A real game of Clue on this one. Oh, for, for sure. sure. I I seriously think he was. Po- I think I think he was poisoned. Mm. I really do think that they poisoned him, and then he just like got pushed out of the plane. And I I don't know like what happened with the autopsy. I don't know if they just like covered up that there was poison in it, and just said that he was like had alcohol and used the alcohol as like oh well he was drunk he must have fell out of the plane. Right, right. I I don't know, but I just I think it's too weird that they used poison three different times throughout the story. At weird times. Yeah. Yeah. And from like three different people. Yeah, they're like. So, uh, he definitely wasn't poisoned. Yeah. For sure. We, uh, we are here doing the autopsy and we're here to say he wasn't poisoned. So don't come digging him up, ask him about poison because it's not poison. Guys. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely not poison. There, there was nothing unusual there. You didn't even do suicide by poison. We can promise you it's not poison. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So like at the end of the day, I just, I, I don't think anybody can say for an absolute certainty what happened to him. I don't think we'll ever really get an answer. I I would love to get an answer, but I mean, we're looking at a case that's almost a hundred years old mm-hmm. and um, I just cases that are this old, we're probably just never going to really get an answer to. I have a, I have my own personal opinion that I think I know what happened, but I don't know. I think this is a truly a case of money talks. I think so too. Yeah. I would agree with uh, all of the assessment that, that you've made. Um, and Fiends, I think it's been made super clear. Isabel really wants you to read that book. Um, <laughs> yeah. She's advocated for you reading it like six times. Uh, I think more like probably 15, but you know. 16, five, whatever. 20. Um, you know, 15, three weeks, a month, whatever. How many times she's said it. <laughs> but I think a, this was a really interesting mystery to get into. And like while there was like heavy true crime aspect to it. Uh, it was still much more of a mystery. And like I said, a game of clue. Sure. Yeah. It was a, I like this one because it was just like, it, it very much felt like follow the money for sure. Like with this, with this, uh, with this story. And I know that uh, we've talked about like true crime before and like, you know, what kind of cases that we do. And the the last couple of times that I've done true crime, I try to pick the ones that are like unsolved. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because they're kind of, I hate to say like, you know, fascinating to, you know, try to solve ourselves because like at the end of the day, like a man lost his life. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't want to like make it into just like this fucking circus or whatever, but it is fascinating to try to like, who the fuck did it? Who done it? It's, it very much reminded me of like, uh, D.B. Cooper meets like a Swiss banker kind of. Absolutely. Mashup. That, that is a great way to think about it. So anyways, fiends, we would love to hear y'all's thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. If y'all would like to hear more true crime and even, you know, true crime that we like know who the killer was or like who, who done it, so to speak. And I'd also like to hear y'all's thoughts on just like this case in general of like, did you like it? Who do you think did it? Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. So let us know. The whole breakdown. Tell yeah. us what you think. But thanks for hanging in there with us for three whole parts. This is the first time we did a three-parter and... I liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of research on on my part, you know, and I, I enjoyed doing it. It was very, a very intriguing thing to kind of like fall down the rabbit hole of this case. 
So I just hope everybody was like, could follow in with all that financial stuff because like, I feel like if you were like really into stocks and stuff that this probably was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Or it was infuriating. Cause you're like, you're wrong. You're so fucking wrong. Uh, yeah, maybe it's very possible. I could, I could have definitely said some shit in there that like wasn't accurate at all. And if, and if I messed up, like I apologize because the financial world is not my world. Yeah, someone's super pissed with us because we got something incorrect. Oh, yeah. Well, if that's the case, like my bad, bro. But like also realize I'm a nurse, not a fucking financier. Right. I am not a finance guru by any means. Yeah, fuck. So like I did the best of my ability with the financial shit. So sorry, bro. But uh, I think that's the last little bit that we have for this episode. Yeah. And uh, next week will be you. Are you going to do something haunting? Well, uh, I know I kind of gave the spoiler that I was going to be doing something a little uh, less paranormal. So I think that this one will be interesting for everybody. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, And I'm also looking forward to not talking because (laughs) this has been a lot because we actually recorded part two and three back to back. So it's been like hours and hours that I've been talking. So it's time for me to shut the fuck up. Yeah, you can take a breath for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, thanks guys for hanging in there with us this Friday and we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that you guys did enjoy it. I'm expecting you guys to have enjoyed it, but uh, I really hope that you actually did. Yeah, and just kind of following up with if you're mad at me over getting any of the finance shit wrong, my bad, bro, and I'm not fucking sorry. Suddy. Not sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not. She's not. I'm not. Because that's not my job. Yeah, she did the the work and it's for y'all to enjoy. So if you didn't enjoy it, sorry, not sorry, I guess. Anyways, regardless, I love you guys. (laughs) And uh, until next time. Bye.